Well, in 1961, uh, Vince Lombardi, coach of the Green Bay Packers, walked into training camp, and it was the first time they'd gotten together after a, uh, just a tragic loss the previous season, and you've got all these football players, experienced guys, and they're sitting there, and they're like, all right, give us some wisdom. Like, we need something special this season to turn things around, and uh, it, historically, this is like one of the most iconic moments in football history. Coach Lombardi walks out, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football And the jokes started swirling around, and the guys were like, slow down, coach. We can't keep up. Uh, You know, they're expecting something different, more profound, you know, give give us some new plays or, or something. And he came out and said, this is a football. Uh, Coach Lombardi was known for an obsession with the fundamentals. And he knew that if if things were going to turn around, things were going to change, they needed to focus on the most basic aspect of what they did. This is a football. And if you know football, you know they went on uh, to win the NFL championship that season. He had five more NFL championships. They never lost again in the playoffs. And and this was a moment of turning for them. And what I want to do this morning for us as a church family is say this, ACF Church, this is a Bible. This is it. And we are beginning a series today called Paradigm Shift, where we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about the Bible. And and here's the deal. Like, this may be the most important teaching series that we've ever had as a church. Because I don't know that there's a greater gift that we could give you than the gift of understanding the Word of God. And so I want you to just make a commitment over the next five weeks just to, just to be here. If you're with us online, to stay connected online and to watch every single week. And, and because we're going to be building each week on the previous week's teaching. And, and, and before we get into too much of things today, I just want you to know I'm going to make kind of a mess today. I'll probably say some things that um, will, will be a little bit controversial for you maybe if you've been in the church for a while. If you've been reading the Bible for a while, it may challenge the way you see the Bible. Uh, I'll say this, if you want to disagree with me, that is okay with me. Uh, that is absolutely okay. But I want to encourage you to get in an ACF group and, and talk about these, these things this week so that we can understand the Word of God for what it is. So what actually is the Bible? What is it? Um, I ran across a great resource uh, a few years back, and uh, it's called The Bible Project. Anybody in the room heard of The Bible Project? So um, if you haven't heard of The Bible Project, uh, just you're welcome. Now you have. This is the beginning for you to get a lot of great information on how to read the Bible better, how to understand it. And they've got, the, they've got videos and podcasts, and it's been a great resource for me over the years of, of just kind of digging in deeper and understanding the Word of God. But Tim Mackey, the founder of The Bible Project, says this. He says, we want to understand and experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And I love that language, that the Bible is, it's, it's one story that all leads to Christ. And over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. And next week specifically, I'm going to talk about how the whole Bible leads us to Jesus. But again, we're going to kind of have to tear some things down before we rebuild. And so that's really this week, because I want to I challenge how you've seen the Bible And I'll be talking about seven different paradigm shifts that I've walked through as I've learned a little bit more about what the Bible actually is. And a couple more resources for you. If you want to study along and go a little deeper over the course of the next few weeks, I want to recommend a couple of books. Uh, The first is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. This was one one of the first books that I had to read as I was taking some Bible classes. If you are a Bible nerd, this is the book for you. 
You know, if you just like, you read 20 books a month and you love to read and you want to get into the deep theology and understanding, you know, every little aspect of the Greek and the Hebrew and this is the book for you. It's going to be really, really helpful for you. If you're like, Brian, I read one book a year, maybe, maybe on a good year. Um, I want to recommend a different book. And it's how not to read the Bible. So you have both ends of the spectrum, right? You have how to read the Bible. This book by Dan Kimball, How Not to Read the Bible, is also really, really, really helpful. You can read it at lunch. Um, it's, a, it's much easier to digest. And I think will give you a great understanding and overview of what the Bible actually is. And I'm really excited about where we're going because um, I don't know if you know this, but people have a lot of questions about the Bible. Like, your friends and neighbors have questions about the Bible. This is the most controversial book that has ever been written in the history of the world. And, and a lot has happened in this book, and through this book. I mean, wars have been started. Blood has been shed because of this book, right? Specifically because of the reading of this book. And it's interesting. Somebody can read the same passage and come up with a completely different understanding of it than you do, Right? In fact, some of you came to the Lord and came to your faith because you read the Bible and you loved the Bible and you found Jesus in the Bible. Some of you have not made a decision to follow Jesus because of the Bible because you read it and you're like, man, I don't know about the God of the Old Testament. I don't know about the brutality that I read. I don't know how to reconcile that in my mind. And so for you, the Bible has actually been an instrument to keep you from faith rather than lead, to lead you to, to the faith. And so all of this comes down to the question of how do we actually read it? What should we do, it, do with it? What actually is it? I want to start with two different passages about the scriptures. The first is Hebrews 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12 says this. It says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts, and desires. You ever read the Bible and felt like you weren't reading it, but it was reading you? I know I have. Uh, it's some of why some of you might not read the Bible at all. Because when you pick it up, conviction happens. It pierces you to your core. Some of you, that's why you don't go to church consistently, because you're like, I don't need that much piercing in my life, right? Like, I don't need that much discomfort in my life. Life's hard enough as it is, but that's what the Word of God does, is it pierces us. Deuteronomy 6, 4, speaking about the law of God, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Sounds like God's saying through Deuteronomy that his words are important, that we should actually read them and we should study them and we should speak about them often. So just think in your own life. I want you to take a moment. What does your relationship with the Bible look like right now? Like, do you open the word of God? Is it something you're committed to if you are a believer in Jesus? Because I don't want to assume that the Bible has authority in your life. I think we can make that assumption. Like, sometimes somebody might talk to you about, you know, something of Christianity, and you open the Bible. You're like, well, if I can give them a verse, they'll understand, and they'll change their life, you know? But the reality is, like, if we thought the Bible had authority in our lives, we would probably spend more time with it, right? 
We probably want to understand it because it has authority in our lives. Um, any hunters in the room? Anybody hunters? So many of you hunters in the room. Um, if you're a hunter in the room, have you read the, the hunting regulations in Alaska? Um, by the way, if you're not a hunter, they are complicated, extremely complicated. But, but if you're a hunter in the room, what you, do, you spend some time studying those regulations because you're like, if I screw this up, they take my guns, they take everything, right? Like, like I want to be able to hunt, so I need to know the regulation. I need to understand this so I know how to go out and hunt. And, and the reality is this, the Bible is so much more than a book of regulations, but it, it does have authority in our lives. And if it does have authority, then we will seek to understand it. Does that make sense? And if it doesn't have authority, then we will leave it in the back seat of the car until next week when we come to church, right? Uh, the statistics are, are, are in, and uh, currently, right now, in the room, for Christians that go to church, one in five Christians have actually read the whole B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I know, I know you went there in your mind. So, one in five of you have actually read the book. Now, this is not to shame anyone in the room, but once again, like, if this book should, should have authority in our lives, if this is actually God's word to us, wouldn't we want to read the whole thing? Wouldn't we want to understand the whole thing? I think it comes down to the fact that the way we're reading the scriptures is not leading us, in many ways, back to the scriptures. And, and, and I, think, I think as I've grown in understanding the Bible more in my life, the more I've grown to love it. And the more that my paradigm has shifted, I think, toward a more accurate way to read the Scriptures, the more I am drawn to the Scriptures. I would propose to you today that the reason maybe you haven't read the Bible since last week at church or the week before is because the way you read it isn't necessarily how it was intended to be read. And when you use it incorrectly, there's no wonder that you don't want to use it again. There is a, a healthy way and an unhealthy way, a right way and a wrong way to read the Scriptures. That won't, that's what we want to spend time doing, is having a paradigm shift. If you're wondering what a paradigm is, a paradigm is the assumptions, experiences, and beliefs that we use to interpret the world. That's just our paradigm. Another word for this that is thrown around the church is our worldview. That's your paradigm. That's the way you see the world. It's, it's what you bring to the table. And so when somebody opens the Bible, they bring all kinds of things to the table, right? You might bring up like a church upbringing. When you open the Bible, you're like, yeah, I know this book. It's, it's the book that my parents felt like I should read. They gave me one when I was a little. Some of you still have the Bible, your first Bible that you got. And, and when you read it, you're like, I read it from a, a paradigm of God really loves me. Like, I think he loves me. And so that affects how you read this book. Others of you did not grow up in a Christian home. And the people who are closest to you think that this book is a waste of time. It's full of errors and flaws. It's just a bunch of men's perspective on your life. And so you bring that history to church into this book, and that's your paradigm. And so once again, this is our paradigm, and I believe that whatever your paradigm is, that there's a shift to be made. And I think that's all, including me. I will tell you, and uh, this may sound weird, but as a pastor at ACF, I'll, I'll just speak for all of the pastors and say, we are all still learning how to read the Bible. Does that sound ridiculous? You're like, I've got to find a new church with a pastor that... If you find a church where the pastor has figured the Bible out, run. Let me just tell you that. That's a church leader that is no longer learning. I am constantly learning things and seeing things, man, deeper and, and gaining more understanding of the Scriptures. This book comes alive when you read it right. 
and, and it's going to start to challenge you, and you're going to find, oh man, I, I think I misunderstood this passage. I mean, I want you to ask yourself that question. When's the last time you read the Bible and realized that you, you were reading it wrong? And if that just hasn't happened, maybe in years, then it's not that you figured out the Bible. It's that you've stopped learning. It's that you've stopped growing and seeking because we all have room to grow when it comes to this paradigm shifts to be had in this. And the reason I think this is so key for us is because when you begin to understand the Bible for what it is, it will come alive, friends. And some of you do. You love the Word of God, and you seek it, and you open it every day because you know, man, God is going to speak to me. He's consistently shown himself to me through these words. And so you do love the Scriptures. We just read this. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is alive and powerful. Crazy. But I just want you to look at your life and say, Is that actually true of my life? I mean, it's true of the Word of God, but am I seeing it as alive? Is it living in, in me and through me? Does it have power in my life? And so what I want to do is talk about these seven different paradigm shifts that I've experienced, and I'm sure I've experienced a lot more, but I just wrote these things down as a, as a place to start, and as a, as a place to kind of challenge maybe some of the way that you have seen the Bible. Some of you are going to read these and, and go, yeah, this is, that's, that's pretty standard. I've, I've known that, but maybe some others are going to push you a little bit, and I, I, I kind of hope they do. So the first is this, that the Bible isn't a book, it's a library. It's not just a book. It is actually a library. It's 66 books of various different genres, 40-plus authors from a variety of different backgrounds and occupations, written over 1,500 years through 10 civilizations over three continents in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. That's the Bible. You see, this is different than the way we kind of think of this this book, because we call it a book, right? But it's actually many, many different books, And so the first place we have to begin is knowing that this didn't just like kind of fly out of heaven, like, you know, like down to the ground and somebody was like, there it is, the Bible in genuine imitation leather with my name on the front, the B-I-B-L-E. It didn't just show up that way. That's not how it arrived. And you can do some more research at home about, you know, when the Old Testament was compiled and, you know, when the New Testament was finished and how the the biblical canon happened. And we'll get into some of that throughout this series, but it didn't show up this way. It's a lot of different books, and it's so important that we understand that because if you went to the library and grabbed, like, how to rebuild a a Chevy 350 and uh, Shakespeare and came home and tried to read them the same you would misunderstand the author's intentions. Am I right? Why? Because they're different types of literature with different purposes. And so if you think of the Bible as just one book, you're going to miss out on the fact that there's, man, there's wisdom literature and history and poetry and so many different things in what we call the Bible. The next shift that I had is this, realizing that the Bible tells one story, as we just said, one unified story story. You've got the Old Testament, which is full of anticipation. Anticipation about the coming of the Messiah. There's an anticipation because it just comes from the lostness of humanity, which you can't read the Old Testament without going, like, humanity's pretty jacked up. Like, we've got some growing to do. We're, 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 we're pretty messed up people. You just see that story throughout the Old Testament. So it's all about anticipating a Savior. Then you've got the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus, right? which is the manifestation of God. He comes to earth in the form of a man. How cool is that? God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
the manifestation of God. Then you've got Acts, the book of Acts, which is all about proclamation. So now we've seen Jesus, and now people are proclaiming the gospel, the good news to the countryside, fulfilling the great commission that Jesus had given them. And then you continue forward to the epistles, which are just the letters written to the churches of the first century. It's the epistles. And, and, And this is really all about explanation. Like, what does it look like then to live as a follower of Jesus, um, because I could use some more explanation on that. I, I could use some more understanding, and so that's really what Paul is doing in those letters. And even those to understand these were le- letters written to specific churches at specific times, right? And it's all about explanation. And then Revelation is about consummation, right? All that God has promised has been consummated in this moment where God returns. Jesus returns to earth and establishes his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We have the new heaven and the new earth and, and, and humanity is healed and the world is healed and, and, and all that God has promised has been fulfilled. And so it's one unified story. And you guys, the more that you read these 66 books, the more you're going to see that thread of one story. And the more faith I think that you're going to have in what we call the Bible. Again, don't be scared of starting to see these things because I think when you walk down this road, you will believe more that this should have authority in your life. And if it has authority in your life, you're going to read it. You're just going to want to read it. So this is such a good journey that we need to go on together. The third paradigm shift that I experienced was realizing that the people who wrote the Bible didn't know they were writing the Bible. It's true. So I know you're like, I don't know about that. But no, when they were writing, the things they were writing, we see, we see God speaking like Moses, write these things down. We see, we see these prophets who spoke words that were written down. We see Paul writing letters that were being written down. And again, like when Paul was writing uh, the book of Ephesians, he didn't know he was writing the book of Ephesians. What was he doing? He was writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And then even that, as he's writing, you realize that he... We're getting half of a conversation as we're reading the epistles because he's responding to letters that were sent to him, which we never get. So no wonder there's so much confusion, right? I wish we could get both sides of the conversation. It'd be like reading an email trail, but you never get the previous email. And so you're trying to kind of figure out what's being said, but you never have any idea of the other part of the conversation. It'd be difficult, and it is difficult sometimes because you're trying to read between the lines. What is Paul responding to? And so they didn't know they were writing the Bible, even though every, listen, every single word of this book is inspired by God, right? Useful useful for teaching and training and rebuking, all of those things. Every word is inspired, but the people that wrote it weren't necessarily thinking this is going to be bound in leather and say Brian Cook one day on the front. Like, they were writing because God told them to. And this is key. Luke chapter 1 verse 1 says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So Luke, Dr. Luke here, is, is, is writing his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, and he starts off by saying, lots of people are writing stuff down. I'm one of them. So he's not like, lots of people have set out to write the Bible, so I'm writing the Bible. He's going, lots of people are writing stuff down, so I'm one of those people. He said, they use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. In other words, there were, there were stories that were going around about Jesus, Like, this was a movement of power because of the resurrection, which is a whole other conversation, but the resurrection is the hinging point. It's why the church continued to move forward and explode the way it did in the first century. 
But he's like, hey, there's people talking about this stuff, so we should write it down. Kind of important. He said in verse 3, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you. I like that. He's, he's like, mine's pretty accurate, by the way. He's, he's just confident. He's like, he's like, lots of people are writing stuff down, but mine's like the accurate one. Um, but it is. Like, and you, when you read the book of Luke or the, the, the gospel account of Luke, you start to get an understanding of Jesus that you don't get from the other gospel accounts, and it's really, really helpful. But you have to just get into the mind of the biblical authors and realize, like, he wasn't like, we're all trying to write the Bible. He's like, this man showed up who changed the world. And we think it's so important that we should actually write it down. And they didn't know you'd be sitting here 2,000 years later, but they knew that they were writing it down for somebody, right? And somebody later would need to read these words, and, and thank God they did, right? Thank God they did write it down. And God has used that. The fourth paradigm shift that I've had to work through is realizing that you shouldn't do everything in the Bible. You shouldn't do everything in the Bible, by the way. Like, this sounds a little obvious, but it's not obvious when you get into it. Um, the Bible is not, as, as many people have said, basic instructions before leaving earth. There's so much more to the Bible than that. It's not just basic instructions. I mean, this is a grand story about God and his redemption of the world. It's a story that centers on God himself. Which, that, that's even a big shift for all of us, is when we read the Bible, many times we come to the Bible saying, you know, what is, what is in this for me? But this is really God's story that he's inviting us into. But as you read it, you need to realize this is not some sanitized little Christian book. This is a book full of love, violence, sex, depravity, murder, redemption, and everything in between. That's the Bible. And I was really wrestling with it a little bit this week about what is in here, because if you've read the whole book, you know there's some stuff in here that will challenge you. And I actually think that if somebody who is an author today were to publish the Bible, I don't think it would actually make it into the Christian book section at Barnes & Noble because of the stuff that's in here, right? Have you read Song of Songs? Like, I mean, come on. You just, like, that would not make it into the Christian bookstore. Like, this is not a sanitized little book. It's a lot of different things with a lot of different characters, you might think, well, like, shouldn't we just do what's in the Bible? Well, just think of the different Bible characters. Should you be like Moses? Answer, yes, except for that whole murdering the Egyptian part. Don't do that, but be, be faithful, you know, like, like lead people. Like, do all of those things. Learn from the life of Moses, but you shouldn't do everything that Moses did. So, again, this is important. Uh, should you be like the Israelites? Well, you know, when they're repentant, but not so much when they're building idols and altars to other gods, right? And then even as we get into the New Testament and the epistles, we understand that there is a context in which those things are written, and we have to understand the purpose of them to apply them to our lives today. This is so important. It's a messy, messy book, and yet God's beauty is all over it. It's such a beautiful book because we see God's redemption through the messiness of humanity. And that's why when I read this, I see myself in this book. I'm like really thankful that when this was put together, that they didn't remove the messy parts. I'm thankful that they didn't remove things that they knew in, you know, years from now, it would be hard for people to swallow. I'm thankful that all of that stuff is in there. But we also have to understand, again, that the Bible isn't just, you can't simply say do everything in the Bible. Like this is what people talk about is um, the word literal. 
So some people say, like, I take the Bible literally. Again, you take all 66 books of this literally. Now, what does that actually mean when you say, I take the Bible literally? It's kind of, it's kind of a poorly worded statement. Because when somebody's like, I take the Bible literally, I'm like, okay, do you eat lobster? Because the Bible says you shouldn't eat shellfish, right? So, like, don't eat any shellfish. Do you take the Bible literally? Maybe. Okay, well, um, it looks like you have both your eyes. Have you never lusted? Because Jesus says if you have lust in your heart, you should poke your eyeballs out. So do you take the Bible literally? Uh, the Bible also says that we should stone children who disobey their parents, right? <laughs> Some of you dads in the room were like, yes, I knew I needed to read this book. <laughs> Absolutely. Love the Bible. No, don't stone your children. But again, like, you read it, and like we make these blanket statements, and sometimes I think we make them from sort of like a, like a holier-than-thou, like, I take the Bible literally. Well, you, you don't, actually. You don't. Nobody does. You have to read it for what it is. Here's what I would say, is that we take the Bible to literally mean what the original author intended it to mean. That's what we do. We don't just say it's all literal. We take it to mean what the original author intended it to mean. Another way to say this is that we don't just read the Bible literally. We want to read it literally. Come on, that'll preach right there. They both start with L, so you know it's good. We want to be literate. We want to understand the type of language, right? The, the, the type of, of writings that we're dealing with, the, the situations that exist around those writings. We want to be literate as we read the scriptures, right? The fifth paradigm shift that I experienced is realizing that it was written for you, but it wasn't written to you. This is kind of like extending from our last thought. It's like, this is for you. We have so much to learn from this book. But it had a certain context in which it was written. And this gets into kind of like the Bible basic uh, reading words 101, which is hermeneutics and exegesis. Fun words. You can look them up later if you've never heard those words before. But hermeneutics is the understanding of what was happening in the context that the book was written. Okay? Who was Paul actually writing to? What was happening in their culture? What was Paul trying to say? What was he responding to in that moment. Then exegesis is how does that apply today, okay? Hermeneutics and exegesis. Now, here's what I see in the church today, is that many Christians will fall on one side or the other. So I'd say the, the hermeneutical, hermeneutical uh, it's hard one to say, hermeneutical error is when people say, well, that was written in a time and place, and it's interesting to hear what God said to them, but it doesn't apply to me, right? Like, well, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. We're not the church in Corinth, so that doesn't apply to me. That is a hermeneutical error because it is still God's word for us today, amen? Like, that's important. But then there's the exegetical error, which is when we read the Bible, all we ask ourselves is, what does this mean to me? Can I tell you that that's one of the most dangerous questions you can ask? Is, what does this mean to me? That, because we live in a society that I think, we think way too highly of our opinions. Can we agree to that? We all think that our opinions should be in the center of every conversation. That's the world we live in. We live in social media world, right? When anything's going on, you know, I, I become an expert in, in everything that's going on in society. My opinion should be in the middle of everything because I just, we think really highly of our opinions. And so we bring that to the Word of God and we go, well, what does the book of Mark mean to me, right? What does what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth mean to me? And, and, and we actually end up manipulating the Word of God and instead of letting it change us, we change it for our own devices. 
And here's what you need to know. If that's the way you read the Bible, no wonder you don't want to read the Bible. If you simply go to it to confirm what you already believe, I'll just tell you this, you can always find a verse to confirm what you believe. If you're like, I want to believe that I don't need to give or tithe to, to the church and that I don't need to be generous, you can find verses that if you cherry pick them out, you can make them mean what you want them to mean. If you're here today and you're like, I want to believe that it's okay to sleep with my girlfriend, you know, that's not an issue, it's not a problem, you know, everybody's doing it. Like, you can go to the Bible, you can find a way to, 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 to manipulate the Word of God to say, like, that's okay. Whatever it is, you can use the Word of God to, to, to meet your own devices if you don't first understand there was a context this was written. And then God's Word also has something to say to me. It's not all about what do I think that this means. Now, when we read the Word of God, we also believe the Holy Spirit inspires it. God will speak to us uniquely in our moment through it, and I've seen that happen in my life over and over again. But I never seek for it to mean something that it never was intended to mean. I always come back to that reality, that it literally means what the author intended it to mean. And now I can look at that today then and go, God, what does that mean to me today in 2022? Not simply asking it to speak something to me outside of context and outside of its situation. It'd be like if I'm, let's say I leave church today and I'm driving home and I get pulled over by the police, which um, has never happened, I'm sure. Um, on the way home, it has happened actually once, speeding on the way home from church, it's a different story. I got put, let's say I get pulled over and, he, and, and the police officer comes up to the window and he's like, hey, uh, do you know how fast you were going? Which we all know to say, slower than the speed limit, right? I was like, I don't know, 63? He's like, you were doing 95 in a 65. Bummer, right? And let's say he says, did you see the speed limit sign that said 65? And I say, yes, I saw the sign, but to me, it meant 95. He's going to say, here's your ticket, Mr. Cook, right? Why? Because he's the one in authority. So what he says the sign means is what it means. Do you get what I'm saying? What, what the person in authority says it means is what it ultimately means. So the Bible means what God says it means. The Bible cannot mean what we want it to mean. And it will mess you up. And I just promise you, if you start to read it, it will, it will mess your life up for all the better. You know, and it's going to be hard and challenging sometimes, but it's going to lead you toward life. Number six, six, the next paradigm shift is this, um, realizing that stuff got left out of the Bible. Again, some of you are like, them's fighting words, pastor. This is a complete book, but let's let the Bible speak about itself. John 20, 30 says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So what does that mean? <laughs> stuff got left out. Now, clearly it didn't need to be in there, but have you ever thought about this, that Jesus did stuff that you've never heard about? Like, aren't you excited one day to get before Jesus and be like, Jesus, tell me about the stuff you didn't have written down in the, in the Bible. Like, like, I want to hear some of the things that you did that just never made the book, right? Didn't make the final cut, you know? I want to I get the director's cut of your life, Jesus. Like, give me all the parts and pieces. But clearly, stuff got left out. And the reason we need to understand this and shift our thinking a little bit is because people get so thrown off by, you know, extra biblical literature that comes out. And they're like, oh, you know, what about this book and that book? And, and then, you know, you got things that show up. You got like, you know, the Gospel of Judas shows up and the, the, the Da Vinci Code shows up. And these things where Christians are like, oh my gosh, I can't trust the Bible anymore. And 
And you can. Like, don't be surprised. There are things that are not in here. And there's a reason for them to not be in here. And we can get more into why the canon was created the way it is and and, and why things are in the Bible and things weren't in the Bible. And and we will over the next few weeks. But just understand, it, it shouldn't lower your standard of what the Bible actually is. But just understanding that, like, not everything is in here. Which, that, that's helpful because people will say sometimes, like, you know, like, I only do what's in the Bible. Really? Because you have an iPhone, you know? Is that in the Bible? Like, like people talk about, like, well, it's all in the Bible. Like, you can, find, you can work it in if you want to, but, like, there's just stuff that's not in the Bible. And now the Bible speaks to the, that stuff. Does that make sense? But it's not specifically written about in the Scriptures, which means it's going to take some interpretation. You're going to have to do some homework to figure out, like, how should we deal with technology? How should I raise my kids in, you know, a world of social media? What does this look like today? Like, it's going to take some work. Stuff got left out. Then number seven, maybe the most important one, is this. It all points us to Jesus. All of it. And this is what I want to talk about next week, because I think this is so important. John 20, 31 says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Hear me on this. This is so important. The center of our faith is not a book. It's Jesus. Jesus is the center of my faith. And this is important that we understand this, is that the the, the book points us to Jesus, right? Ultimately, it's about getting to know Jesus, And the reason this is so important is because it is so easy to be drug into religion, drug into legalism. There are a lot of Christians today that know a lot of theology but look nothing like Jesus. And if you worship the book instead of Jesus, you will find yourself in empty, dead religion. But if you love the book because of Jesus, you will start to find life through it. Does that make sense? Like the book points us to Jesus. I heard somebody say, this, say it this way one time, that, that I don't believe in Jesus because of the Bible. I believe in the Bible because of Jesus. And this is important. Like Jesus was a historical figure. He actually lived. The church actually exploded in the first century. Like the resurrection, although people argue about what actually happened there, something happened. We know that historically outside of the biblical narrative. Like we see this. Outside of what's being, being written and has been written in the Bible. And so this is so key for us to understand that ultimately it's about getting to know Jesus. And I believe that the story of Jesus is the story that leads to life. And that's, that's really what matters. And that's why every single week, if you come back to ACF next week, which some of you are like, going to find a new church, that's fine. Um, if you come back to ACF next week, we're going to talk about Jesus. And then here's a, here's a little forecast. The next week, guess what we're going to talk about? Jesus. And, and every single week, it's going to come back to Jesus. Because it's so important that we understand where salvation actually comes from. This is so important. Like sometimes, and even the Bible, like we see, we see moments where the Pharisees are being called out because like they thought the words would give them life. And Jesus is the one that gives them life. They thought a little more theology would give them life when Jesus is the one that's there to give them life. 
Romans 10.9 says, But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Could it really be that simple? Could salvation be that simple? Let me ask you a question. How much of the Bible do you have to have read to be saved? Zero. Zero. Think about it. So like Jesus is on the cross. There's a thief next to him. Cries out for mercy. What does Jesus say to him? How much of the Bible have you read? No. He says, you want mercy? I'll give it to you. Today you will see me in paradise. It's not the Bible that saves us. It's Jesus. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more that you love him, the more you will start to love his, his word. The more you'll be drawn back to it because it's all about him. It's all about him. And don't you want to know him better? I'll close with this. Um, my dad and I got to do some hunting this season. Um, do you have that picture of us? Yeah, there we are. Look at that view. That's a great view, isn't it? For you hunters in the room. Some of you know what this was like this season. The weather was terrible. We were up moose hunting. And uh, after a few days, we were just like, this is terrible. And, and you're sitting with somebody in close quarters, and you just kind of run out of stuff to talk about. Have you been there? You know? And where we can't see anything. And this morning, particularly, we're just sitting there, and I just looked at my dad, and I was like, Dad, start at the beginning. Tell me your story. And because, you know, like, I've grown up hearing stories from my dad, but I was like, just tell me your story. T- start, like, growing up in Maine, you know, in the family that you were in, getting into the Air Force, you know, right out of high school, and the different career paths you took. Because I've got little bits and pieces, but tell me the whole story. And my dad talked for four and a half hours. And I loved every second of it. You know why? Because at the end, I felt like I knew my father better. And I felt at the end that it actually, that I loved him all the more. Because that's how it works. And just ironically, as we're talking, we're literally watching the fog lift out of the valley. And for some of you, when you think of God, you're like, it's just kind of foggy. I don't really know him that well. If you get to know him, you read his word, you will begin to love him. So what's your next step today? I want to encourage you. Would you pull out your action card off your seat? You might have one somewhere. In fact, would you hand that to me real quick? Thank you. Would you just grab this, everybody in the room? It's just something we do as a church family. You can just kind of tear this off the bottom. Makes a fun noise. And uh, we just take a next step here together. What is your next step today? You can drop this in the basket on the way out. And uh, all we want to do is text you and pray for you this week. We're going to text you one text that says, hey, we're praying for you as you begin your new relationship with Jesus or whatever it is that you need prayer for. And so we just want to do that with everybody in the room. But maybe to you today, you're just going to start with beginning a relationship. Maybe today you're like, really? So I can struggle with parts of the scripture. You can. I can have never read the Bible. You can. I can just hear about Jesus and know I just need mercy and and cry out to him and be saved. You can. And you will enter into a journey where Again, you will get to know his word, and, and, and it will challenge you. It will challenge you. But, but again, this is, our, this is the struggle that we have. We think we need to, to fix ourselves up and have everything figured out to come to God, and God just says, no, come to me. And he will help things to get figured out as you go along. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you need help seeing your paradigm. You're like, I'm not really sure what I bring to the table when I read the Bible, but I think I've got a paradigm. And so maybe you just need to ask God, God, how do I see the Bible that's maybe affecting 
my image of you or image of the scriptures in a negative way. Maybe you need to begin a rhythm of regular Bible reading. Or maybe you need to invite someone next week who has problems with the Bible. Again, like, this is a place of conversation. And if you're here and you're, you, you struggle with the scriptures, man, that's okay. It's okay. That, 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 let the conversation begin. Because there are helpful an- answers and helpful ways to read the scripture that I think can lead to us believing in it all the more. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us. And uh, we're going to move in worship today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that our salvation is not centered on a book, but it's centered on Jesus. But also, God, we want to honor your word to us. We do believe that there are some undeniable, unchanging truths in your word that we need in our lives. And so, God, I pray that we begin to understand those things. God, develop in us a love for your word this week. God, thank you for the church. Thank you that we can gather together and take our next step as a family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.